When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Over three years earlier, he had returned to Europe a hero, having successfully discovered new lands and claimed them for the crown. This time, however, circumstances were different. Wowed by his stories and the promise of riches, the royal couple had backed him financially, and Spaniards had flocked to start a new life in his colony. Thus far, however, he had failed to find the gold, spices, and great Asian civilizations he'd been looking for. To make matters worse, he had found establishing a colony much more difficult than he'd hoped. His first attempt had been destroyed, and all its inhabitants killed by the local Taino. His second settlement had managed to survive so far, but the colonists had become disillusioned with his rule, and he had been forced to fight off a mutiny. While he'd been away, he had also grown ill, and although the worst of it was over, he was physically weaker, stressed, and feeling the pressure. He had started to develop a martyr complex, blaming others for the problems he faced and feeling more and more aggrieved at his situation. What a difference from last time he returned from the new world. He knew that he had to present his side of the story to the king and queen. Two ships had returned before him and both reflected badly on him. 
The first had been the mutineers, who he had sent back as prisoners for their insubordination. Although they were presented as rebels, they would have had the chance to spread negative information about Columbus's colony. I have been unable to find out what became of them. They were rebels against the crown. By rebelling against Columbus, they were rebelling against the crown, so you'd think they would be punished. Due to increasing scepticism of Columbus and his rule in the New World, however, perhaps after presenting their version of events, the monarchs took a degree of pity on them and judged that mismanagement of the colony mitigated their actions to some extent. We can't say. However, judging by Columbus's reception, it does appear that their stories were not completely discounted. The second ship to return to Spain before Columbus was packed with native Tainos, who he had instructed to be converted to Christianity, one of the main objectives of the crown. However, he had also implied that they could be treated as slaves, and that this could be a source of income, in lieu of the gold and spices he had failed to discover. This did not go down well with the king and queen. They wanted conversions, yes, and they wanted these people to become their subjects, but they had not sanctioned slavery or mass killing, and were not impressed by this move. For them, at this point in time, their relative compassion by the standards of the era outweighed their desire for profit. We will go further into the motives of the crown, the colonists, conquistadors, and the church in future. But, put simply, at this point Ferdinand and Isabella wanted land, converts, and gold, but not slaves, and not to oversee a reign of terror over the native peoples of the Americas. The royal couple weighed up Columbus's account against those of his detractors. On the one hand, it was he who had discovered this new world. Without him, there would be no colony at all. On the other, the complaints about his governance and the lack of gold and spices so far could not just be ignored. They suggested that perhaps he should retire with his generous pension. His reputation would be upheld. After all, he had already achieved great things. His involvement in the problems the colony was experiencing could be ignored, and someone else could take over the difficult job of making it viable. In short, maybe he would like to quit while he was ahead. Now there are many criticisms that can be levelled against Columbus, but being lazy is not one of them. He was a driven, ambitious man, and although he could have called it a day and lived in comfort and fame, he was never going to do that. He persuaded Ferdinand and Isabella to provide him with another round of ships and supplies, and he prepared to set off again. This was to be less of a voyage of exploration, although discoveries were made, a more one of colonial administration. While of course only a tiny part of the New World had been found, and most of the Caribbean was still unoccupied by Europeans, we are beginning to move out of the pure exploration phase of this region, and into the colonial phase. It was no longer a case of Columbus heading out alone into the unknown, and there was now a permanent Spanish population in the area. Ships were starting to go back and forth between the Caribbean and Europe, and new journeys of exploration were beginning to set off from Hispaniola. These were launched by a variety of people, independent of Columbus. When Columbus left this time, he had six ships, but three of these went directly to the colony at Hispaniola. 
relations between Spain and Portugal must have improved somewhat, and another island nearby called Porto Santo. On the way, he spent time with a Portuguese ship captain there. Further evidence of the fact that exploration of the New World was no longer Columbus's exclusive prerogative can be found in the first objective of his voyage. It's likely that this is what he was discussing of the Portuguese ship captain. According to the writings of Bartolomé de las Casas, a character who will be important in later episodes, King João of Portugal had information that a large continent could be found to the south of the Caribbean, and so it was in this direction Columbus set out. According to King João, canoes had been found which set out from the coast of Guinea in West Africa and sailed to the west with merchandise. De Las Casas tells us this, but gives no more information. He doesn't say where the canoes were found or who they belonged to. It seems to suggest that they were probably African boats, a tantalising idea which implies that African people had reached the Americas. If this is the case, it would mean that not only were these Africans connected enough to the European world to have heard of Columbus's discoveries, but also that they reached mainland America before the Europeans. It leaves open the possibility that they could have done so before even Columbus. All we know is that these canoes were supposed to have reached the Americas. He doesn't give a time frame. When were these canoes found? De Las Casas was writing later, but at this point, when Columbus was setting off on his third journey, it was six years after his first discoveries. As far as I know, this is the only source which mentions these mysterious canoes, and it seems impossible to verify the claim or disprove it. I'm sure that more research into African canoes of the time can add some flesh to the debate. It seems unlikely that a small canoe could make it across the Atlantic and back. But then, as we saw in episode one of this podcast, Thor Hadel managed to get across on a boat built using ancient techniques and materials, so perhaps it is possible that Africans made it over. De Las Casas also mentions that the Tainos of Hispaniola had reported black-skinned people coming from the south to trade. Again, this is third-hand information, coming from the Tainos to Columbus to De Las Casas, so we should approach it with caution. Black-skinned could also just mean anyone darker than themselves. I will leave the possibility hanging here, as it's not the main focus of the episode, and I don't feel qualified to comment further. I wouldn't go around stating with confidence that Africans reached the Americas by any means. In any case, apparently thanks to this information, Columbus suspected that there was a big continent to the south of the Caribbean islands he had discovered. And so... He set off in that direction. He travelled on a trajectory that would see him reach the island of Trinidad, extremely close to the coast of South America. Before doing this, however, he stopped at another set of Portuguese islands, Cabo Verde, where he unsuccessfully tried to purchase some cattle for his colony. After turning westwards, he made another discovery, the doldrums. This part of the Atlantic is prone to periods with absolutely no wind at all. At a time when this was the main source of propulsion for boats, this was a big problem. They spent eight days drifting helplessly before the winds picked up again. The crew were thankful that they were saved from a lonely death at sea. Progress had already been slow before encountering the doldrums, 
and supplies were running low. Columbus actually gave up on his search for the continent, and he had just ordered a change of direction, north towards the islands he already knew about. Luckily, though, he had almost made it, and land was sighted on the 31st of July. After skirting the southern coast of Trinidad, Columbus quickly realised that this was not the continent he'd heard rumours of. It may as well have been, though. At its southwestern point, Trinidad is just seven miles from what is today Venezuela, and the mainland can actually be seen from the island. Naturally, once he discovered this, Columbus set off towards the mainland. Naturally, once he had discovered this, Columbus set off towards it, and what he saw there made it clear that he'd found the continent. Now, the coast of Venezuela and the island of Trinidad together enclose a body of water known as the Gulf of Perea. This geography creates a sort of bowl into which the Orinoco River empties. Now, if you rank rivers by the amount of water they push out into the sea, the Orinoco is the fourth largest in the world. This was a more powerful sight than anything Columbus had seen in his explorations of the Caribbean, and even anything that he would have encountered in Europe. None of the rivers in Africa that is likely he may have seen were this size either, so this would have been something truly astounding. Only a huge continent could produce a river this powerful. Now the unique geography of the Gulf of Perea and the Orinoco River are interesting, but they can also be dangerous. Large amounts of water rushing into an enclosed space creates all sorts of strange tides. On top of this, the area is seismically active and is prone to underwater earthquakes and volcanic eruptions. Whether it was the tides or geological activity, something caused a huge wave to wash over Columbus and his ships. They saw it coming, but could do nothing to escape. Luckily for them, although they were tossed around, they escaped undamaged and unharmed. Despite the lack of injuries, this event was said to have made a deep impression on Columbus and his men. After exploring some more of the Venezuelan coastline, Columbus sailed north to his colony. It seems at this point that he was suffering from ill health again. He had arthritis, problems with his eyes which made him temporarily blind, and was most likely exhausted from his travels and the poor diet of sailors at the time. This probably influenced his decision not to explore the coast of this new continent further. When he arrived, he was greeted by his brother, Bartolomeo, who was governing colony in his absence. Bartolomeo had abandoned the settlement at La Isabella and established a new one on the southeast coast of the island. He named it Santo Domingo, and today it's still the capital of the Dominican Republic. Although there had now been two abandoned settlements on the island, La Navidad and Isabella, as this one stuck, it is considered to be the oldest continually inhabited European settlement in the New World. Isabella had suffered the problems of being a fledgling colony. Its inhabitants had died of tropical disease and struggled to make the land produce enough food to sustain them. But there was another reason for its depopulation. While Columbus was away, a man named Francisco Roldan had mutinied. Instead of attempting to seize ships like the previous rebels, he had instead struck out on his own and founded a new settlement 
in what are today southern Haiti. Roldan was not just any old settler either, while Bartolomeo was governor of the Indies in his brother's place. Roldan had been the mayor of La Isabella. As La Isabella was the only colony at the time, this would have made him the mayor of everything, and pretty much the second most powerful man on the island, I'm guessing. It seems likely that he would have had lots of influence over the colonists. In the end, he had managed to get about half of them, those who had not died already, to join his side. His position was so strong that despite Columbus possessing all the official power, including the backing of the monarchy, he was unable to move against Roldan, and the situation became a stalemate. Columbus was still ill, and things were becoming difficult. His settlers were dying, he had been forced to move his settlement twice, and he had lost half his population to rebels, who he was forced to negotiate with, rather than crush, due to the weakness of his position. He needed help, and so in 1499 he sent word back to Spain, asking for an assistant. As we saw at the beginning of this episode, the royal couple were already growing sceptical of Columbus's ability to govern before he set sail again. This latest request, and the news that came with it, must have increased their doubts even further. They sent a man over, as Columbus requested, but they made him governor of the colony, effectively replacing Columbus. The man was Francisco de Bobadilla, and he was no fan of Columbus. De Bobadilla will cause quite a stir in the time he was governor, but he will not be around long, so for the sake of brevity, I will not give him a full introduction. All you need to know is what he did over the next three years. First, he dealt with Roldan and his rebels. Instead of trying to defeat them, he sympathised with them, probably hinting that Columbus's bad governorship made their actions understandable. He pardoned them, and even gave land grants to those willing to rejoin the colony. Simultaneously, he examined the colony, and quickly came to the conclusion that Columbus's governorship was indeed bad. What he did next was the ultimate humiliation of Columbus. He had the explorer arrested, put in chains, and sent back to Spain. Thus ended Columbus's governorship of the New World. Just like that, Columbus's governorship of the New World ended. This was despite it being awarded to him as one of his rights after his first successful voyages. Columbus's returns to Spain illustrate the downwards trajectory of his fortunes. The first time he was greeted with celebrations, titles and feasts. The second, he returned to a frostier welcome, but was still allowed to set sail again and continue his project in the New World. This time he returned in chains. It is in those chains that we will leave him for today. We will be returning to Columbus to see what happened to him in a couple of episodes' time. His days are not yet over. However, as by this point, Spanish colonisation of Hispaniola was truly establishing itself, and doing so independently of Columbus, we need to step back and look at some of the factors at work here. We need to look at how the Spanish colonial model was taking shape. What's more, we need to look at a treaty which will determine who gets to colonise where. The legacy of this piece of paper is still felt in national borders today. Until then, thanks for listening.
You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.